podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So after, what, four years from the first time he appeared on the Paracast, we have Thomas Morrison joining us. He is gifted to be a paranormal adept in the Paracast forums because of his great contributions. And one of the most important things he ever did for the forum was participating in a thread called UFO Design, where he gets dark and dirty into how those UFOs fly around. And I was thinking here, in light of the current interest in the subject with the Pentagon UAP task force, and people now looking at its maneuverability, these UFOs or UAPs or flying saucers, maybe we should bring Thomas back on and have him take a look and put it through his lens and see what he sees. Thomas, have you been following the current chatter? You know, it's hard not to. I mean, after a lifetime of being engaged in this subject and, you know, waiting a year or two for any new development or new story to break, here we are four years after our last uh, Paracast discussion, and it's hard to keep a full-time job and keep up with all the developments in this story. I mean, it's almost every day there's some kind of story or a news segment or something. It's a really thrilling time. I love it. And it's funny because the last time we talked on the roundtable debate about the ETH, uh, which I favor, that was about a week before, I think, the New York Times story broke. And this whole subject has really had afterburners on ever since. Well, at this point, do you think it's going to lead to anything or is it just going to be people talking and nothing new is learned? Okay, so I do my best to stay away from any kind of prognosticating, but... I think that what we have seen has been really unprecedented in our lifetimes. I did not expect in our lifetimes for people like former directors of national intelligence, former directors of the CIA, President Obama, to suddenly seem to change their tune and take the subject very seriously. So I think we've made huge headway already, and it does seem like if you're going to try to anticipate the future that you would extend that trend. That seems like the most reasonable thing. And I'm hearing people talking about now the government wanting to set up a full-time investigation into the subject, which is kind of interesting. It's, it's like they've hit a reset button and pretended that like the last 70 years never happened, and now they're going to start from scratch and pretend that they've just discovered this subject for the first time. And they're saying things that they were saying 60, 70 years ago. They haven't said anything new beyond that, but they do seem to be committed to moving forward. So I'm intrigued by it. One of the the things that brought us together into this discussion is I've spent most of my lifetime trying to understand uh, UFO propulsion. I dug into the academic physics literature to try to understand it. At first, I thought, like most people would assume, that we were dealing with extremely advanced military research programs with some kind of technology that could outperform any kind of technology in the air that we know about. But after digging really deep and hard, as far as I could go on that subject, I literally could not find a single piece of credible evidence that the military actually has this kind of technology. Nevertheless, I did find a really compelling connection to theoretical physics. I keep hearing this in, in the news media. People say things like this, they defy the laws of physics. Well, that's just patently untrue. And I think that's an important point to clear up because 
our applied physics is way behind our theoretical physics. We're still using Newtonian physics when it comes to propulsion. Newtonian physics, hundreds of year old physics. We we push something out the back in order to push something forward. This is reaction propulsion. All of our technology works that way. In the meantime, our theoretical physics is really leap, leapfrogged well beyond that. There are at least two concepts in the theoretical physics literature that point to a type of physics which absolutely does explain the maneuvers of these objects. There was a paper published in 1990 by Robert Forward, who is an absolutely genius, visionary theoretical physicist with decades of work in the defense industry, who wrote some seminal papers like Guidelines to Anti-Gravity back in 1963. In 1990, he published a paper called Negative Matter Propulsion, which explained how in incredibly simple, even Newtonian terms, that if you put a positive and negative mass near each other, their gravitational field acceleration um, would create a linear acceleration towards the positive mass. So this would cost no energy uh, and it would defy no laws of physics. So even within that really primitive model, you can create acceleration without any reaction medium whatsoever. In 2003, we have a paper from Jack Wisdom, professor at MIT, called Swimming in Spacetime, where he describes a really clever model where you can use the gravitational field gradient whether it's a planet or a black hole or the galaxy, like a lattice where you can move around using the, the gravitational field gradient. And you can move in any direction you want using that gradient. If the object is deforming its shape or its energy distribution in a very specific way, an object can li literally use the Earth's gravitational field to climb out of the Earth's gravitational field. It's a really fascinating and clever idea. There was a third idea that we thought we understood, Miguel Alcubierre's warp field metric uh, that was published in 1994, and everybody's really excited about that because it looked like Star Trek warp field propulsion. And only recently did we find that the peer review panel missed a really key element in the mathematics of that concept, and it actually doesn't move at all. You can distort space-time, you can change the rate of time, you can change the metric of space, but you can't actually create propulsion that way. Remarkably, Dr. Harold White... <laughs> that is, you know, that is so interesting to hear because I was like saying this to people for so long that we yeah. don't know that that's going to work, right? So yeah. this is really quite fascinating. I know that we're going to get really technical in this show sometimes. So I'd like to just start by maybe just backing up a little bit. Sure. I know that just about anyone who's listening is going to have some familiarity with, with UFOs and what we're talking about when we talk about the ATIP program and the sightings of the Nimitz encounter that took place. But how about just like giving us a bit of a background, just a quick recap of how that all unfolded for you after our last show and how it applies to this and, and why this movement of the object that they cited seems to be so important to this. This actually goes back way further for me. You know, when I was a seven-year-old boy, I was returning from a, a jaunt through the forest. I used to love to go explore nature. And I got it within like a block of my home. And the neighborhood kids came up and they wanted to talk to me about playing some game or whatever. While they were talking, I noticed there was something moving in the sky. And then I looked up and then they all started to look up too. And there were a pair of objects performing zigzag maneuvers at constant speed across the sky. They were zigzagging, but they had sort of a general trend in their direction. Uh, it was the strangest thing that I'd, I'd ever witnessed, and I couldn't understand it, and I couldn't explain it. We went through the list of things. Was it a helicopter, a rocket, plane? Of course, all those could easily be ruled out because nothing can move like what we saw. 
so that was a really watershed moment in my life because even at that point I was scientifically inclined and curious and I wanted to know answers to things and understand things. That's when my journey started to try to understand how that movement was possible. I had to dig pretty deep. For this sighting that you had then, this was a nighttime sighting? This was a daytime sighting. Oh, okay. Broad, broad daylight, not a, not a cloud in the sky, two very bright objects that could have been okay. extremely reflective, or they were emitting their own light. It's impossible to say. I've done the trigonometry, and I estimated they were moving somewhere between 2,000 and 8,000 miles per hour through the sky at a constant speed, executing acute angle changes in trajectory. Right, um, without slowing down, right? Well, okay, we know what you're talking about then. So now, when you see that, you go... So I don't know anything that can do that. That's right. Yeah. And I used to describe it as it was like watching uh, like a ping pong balls reflecting off of invisible walls in the sky because it just had that kind of instantaneous kind of change in direction. No slowing or curving or anything like that. And the pilot, Commander Fravor, described the same the motion in the same way. He said it was like a ping pong ball bouncing around. We got more to come. Thomas Morrison joining us, a student of science and evidently of advanced physics. Because we're trying to figure out what makes UFOs fly, okay? You'll believe a UFO can fly. Like they said with the 1978 movie, Superman the movie, you will believe a man can fly. But the special effects weren't that great. They weren't so good. But it was all hype. But UFOs, you see them fly, they're doing something weird, weird stuff. Thomas, Gene, and Randall, you're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Right now, millions of Americans have an uneasy feeling about the future. That's why they're quietly stockpiling as much emergency food as they can. What about you? Do you have enough emergency food to get you through a prolonged crisis? If not, take a moment to shop My Patriot Supply. We're America's leader in emergency preparedness and survival. Since 2008, we've served several million American families like yours. In fact, our mission is your survival. So head on over to MyPatriotSupply.com and grab a few of our tasty emergency food kits. Our food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage and is shipped quickly and discreetly to your door. One day, you might be eating breakfast, lunch, or dinner while everyone else is standing in a food line. Avoid that. It's too late to act once the other shoe drops. It's time to be self-reliant and prepared, and now you can. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com, MyPatriotSupply.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. 
Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Every day we take steps to keep the people we love safe. But some health risks are easy to miss. Ticks hiding in the yard can spread germs that can cause Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Mice searching for sources of food can spread bacteria and disease. Mosquitoes breed in standing water and can transmit illnesses like West Nile virus and Zika virus. Cockroaches are drawn to water in the home and can leave behind allergens that trigger asthma attacks. Stinging insects attack in defense of their nests and send more than half a million people to the emergency room every year. Household pests are a threat to our health. Learn what you can do to protect your family at pestworld.org. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNLoans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNLoans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNLoans.com. That's GCNLoans.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Thomas, before we go into the nuts and bolts, so people understand you are not a scientist, you're a student of science. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. I studied physics for two years at, at the University of Southern California, and basically I just raided their science and engineering libraries to see if I could find a path in my coursework to study the subject of gravitational field propulsion, because that's what I was interested in. But at that point, it was a subject of mockery and derision, and all of the textbooks and all the professors would argue that reactionless propulsion was impossible, that anti-gravity was a pipe dream, that the laws of physics don't work that way. So I frankly lost heart. And it turned out that five years later, when Miguel Cubier published his paper, suddenly that all changed and gravitational field propulsion became a credible and established topic in theoretical physics. It was kind of funny that it it took that paper, which was deeply flawed, ultimately, to get the subject into the mainstream academic discussion. In the meantime, I'd figured that whatever... That there was something gravely wrong in the academic physics community if they felt that way about the subject because I knew from firsthand experience that what I saw was indeed physically possible. So I left school and I started studying physics on my own. You're not entirely alone there uh, with, uh, you've probably heard of Paul Hill, 
I've read his book, Unconventional Flying Objects, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, after his sighting, he felt very much the same way you did. And I believe he theorized, much like you and, and a number of us in the field, that gravitation has got to have something to do with this because that's what they mean when they say that it's, they seem to break the laws of physics, that you just can't do what these things do when you're thinking in uh, classical terms of inertia and gravitation. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're at a really interesting point in our history technologically because our technology is still constrained by Newtonian physics, but theoretical physics is telling us that there's an entirely new domain of applied physics that we have not yet made the first steps into, which will open up doors to things like gravitational field propulsion, reactionless field propulsion, and that's the key to interstellar spaceflight. Let me just raise something here, okay. Sure. In the Star Trek universe which breeds all the discussion of warp drive. Warp drive is invented by a crazy inventor in 2063. Now we're in the real world where we're putting this stuff on paper and trying to figure out what makes those things tick or to develop some kind of system that can do what they appear to do. Are we going to have to wait 42 years for it to happen? Well, you never know. I mean, a, a major breakthrough can happen at any moment. What we do know is that we have the foundation. We have the theoretical physics foundation in order to solve the problem. Now it's just a matter of the right clever primate putting the right pieces together <laughs> and finding a solution that, yeah. that will open the doors to technological pursuit of this kind of capability. And we will achieve that capability. As long as our global civilization doesn't implode through neglect and terrible foreign policies and all that kind of thing. Well, you see, you're already raising subjects that are difficult to deal with because yeah, all of the above may happen. You put that in there, right? Right. So basically, if we don't destroy ourselves, we'll get the job done. And then we have to look at what if UFOs are from other planets, the civilization who developed that craft, they could be hundreds or thousands of years ahead of us. They could be capable of all sorts of magic things. We're trying to look at early 21st century technology and figure it out. But if they're way, way ahead of us, it may be child's play to them. Gene, it's even more extreme than that because this is one of the things I like to talk about because the mainstream science press is doing a terrible job of getting people up to speed on the current findings with astrophysics and our place in the universe. So to put this in perspective, the average age of an Earth-like world orbiting a sun-like star like ours in the habitable zone, in our galaxy and all of the others, is between two and three billion years ahead of us. Right. So we're not talking about a small advancement in the potential civilization technologically and culturally and all of that kind of thing. We're talking about a vast gulf, which is absolutely beyond our comprehension. It's difficult to predict what human civilization and what technology may yield in 100 years or stretch that to even to a thousand. But we're talking about two to three billion years, possibly on average. Right. So it's almost certain that beyond the relatively prosaic ability to instantaneously accelerate to thousands of miles an hour, that they have other capabilities which we can't even imagine yet. The entire sciences that we haven't even envisioned yet. So we, we're going to be dwarfed in ways that I think will be stunning and humbling 
And we, I think we need to prepare ourselves for that because the evidence is starting to come out. You know, we've got our own military finally, after decades of denials, admitting that these things are real. We've got our first tantalizing bits of video clips and testimony and all that kind of stuff. I have no doubt that there's a, a great deal of more data that um, we can't see, that I hope that one day we will see, that absolutely demonstrates the presence of these objects in our airspace. And the cultures that we're going to deal with, we can't even imagine what they're like, right? If they could be billions of years ahead of us, what they're demonstrating to us is a show for our benefit. They may be the Q continuum. Our <laughs> concept of matter may be so primitive that they can just manipulate matter in ways that we can't even conceive, except, of course, in sci-fi films and TV shows. Well, I, th I think that there's some there's, there's a grain of truth in that, but I think we need to we need to sort of rein ourselves in a little bit because all of our capabilities that we've achieved over the last few thousand years, you know, from primitive days of you know ancient civilization, and think of all the things we've got now from our our iPhones and our computers and our rockets and all that kind of stuff. All of that stuff is being done by science and technology, so it's it's not really magic. It's just extremely advanced science and technology that we're, we're going to be dealing with here. Okay, so but the point, I don't my point, think we should Thomas, have necessarily my, ideas like the Q continuum where you can just will an idea into existence through some kind of uh, hyper-consciousness magic or something. I think that you're, you're going to be dealing with technology. So these are capabilities that we could do also if we had that knowledge. Well, when I say magic there, it's only because of the fact that it's way, way more advanced than what we're capable of doing. It doesn't mean that with the proper scientific knowledge, we could manipulate matter in such ways that it seems like magic. Sure. Yeah, maybe there will be uh, replicators and teleporters and things like that. I mean, manipulations of energy and matter in a, in a way that you know we can't even conceive of. I think it's all very reasonable. Science shows us already that you can manipulate the wave function of matter in all kinds of fascinating ways. They're building materials now where they're creating custom wave function materials, a subject called uh, topological insulators. They're putting matter together at an atomic level so that they can create a custom wave function to produce effects that, that have never been seen in nature before or effects that are slaved together in ways that we never see in nature. So yeah, I think there's uh, things that we're going to be capable of soon and civilizations, no doubt, around us have probably already achieved these kind of capabilities for quite a long, long time ago. You know. And just one more thing, Thomas Morrison will hang with us for this weekend's episode of After the Powercast, looking into the potentials of how UFOs might be working and what we're doing to possibly duplicate their performance. Thomas Morrison joining us with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. 
Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. USA Radio News with Dan Naraki. The Centers for Disease Control revised its mask wearing guidance earlier this week, saying that those in areas of the country experiencing high rates of COVID infection should go back to wearing masks indoors in public spaces, even if they are vaccinated. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky saying that new data on the Delta variant of the virus prompting the change. Nephrologist Dr. Frieda Fisher tells Fox News that it was appropriate for the CDC to update their guidance based on what is being shown by the variant. Unlike the Alpha variant, the previous variant, the Delta variant is more transmissible, and now we believe it's more deadly, and we also know that even vaccinated people can spread the virus. And so it is prudent that we change the guidelines. The good news is that the vaccinations still work in keeping the fully vaccinated from getting severely ill and from dying from COVID-19. You're listening to USA Radio News. The director of the CDC is explaining why her agency adjusted its guidelines for mask wearing earlier this week. Brad Bernards reports. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, issued a clarification statement Friday night on Fox News' special report. Brad Bear had asked about masks. The masks are really being put on for vaccinated people in areas of high-density disease, such that if they were to get infected, that they knew that they might bring it to somebody who was immunocompromised, somebody who was not yet vaccinated. So it was really to prevent transmission. From the USA Radio News, West Texas Bureau, I'm Brad Bernards. And the Senate held a rare Saturday session as a group of bipartisan negotiators worked to finish their $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. Virginia Democrat Senator Mark Warner saying that the group is still hammering out the language of the bill with the hope of getting the full text out on Saturday. If the group is able to do that, debate on the bill and possible amendments to it could begin as soon as Sunday afternoon. You're listening to USA Radio News. Oh, whale! Guys, whale! Wow, whale. Oh, that's a big whale. Um, okay, whale, whale, whale. Oh, no, whale! The tides can turn quick on the water. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Get a quote today in as little as three minutes at progressive.com. Well, at least it wasn't a shark, am I right? <laughs> Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Angie's List is now Angie. Summer is the perfect time to book your next home project. From lawn care to a new patio, Angie makes it simple to connect with pros who can get the job done right. See reviews, upfront pricing, and instantly book hundreds of projects. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, we'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with our happiness guarantee. Check out Angie.com and for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen guarantee This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, The Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio. So we're looking into the frontiers of science to see what might make UFOs tick and what we're capable of now. 
and what a civilization hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of years ahead of us might be capable of. Or it's possible civilizations go through cycles during all those years. We have no idea what might happen. We have no idea. Do we even understand fully what Earth was like a billion years ago? We have a pretty good idea on, in terms of the geological record and so forth. We have empirical data that we can study and we can make a lot of determinations based on the evidence which is available. Um, that's a much different matter. Looking back and having the hard data in ice core samples and you know and ge- the geological record at least, you know, digging down deep enough, you can find some record of what was going on temperature-wise, the atmospheric composition, all that kind of thing. You can you can map backwards the drift of the tectonic plates, that kind of thing. So there's a lot we can learn about our own planet, but looking forward, that's a whole other matter. You know, we're the most conservative estimate that we've seen in the academic literature for the prevalence of Earth-like worlds orbiting the habitable zone of sun-like stars is 300 million in our galaxy alone. The upper estimate that I've seen is somewhere in the 30 billion range. So somewhere between 300 million and 30 billion other worlds that had conditions which are as favorable to life pretty much as they are here are in our galaxy, our own galaxy, which is, you know, our own neighborhood. I think there may be situations, there may be a lot of situations, I think we're going to see all this kind of stuff. We're going to see some planets that maybe went through cycles of civilization. We're going to see maybe some civilizations that have just continued forward without making any really disastrous blunders that set them back to the Stone Age like we seem to be doing. And the ones that are probably most successful and oldest will be the most likely to have found us and to be uh, navigating our airspace for whatever reason, research, entertainment. You know, you know, it's hard to, hard to even say like why a really advanced civilization would come here. Maybe it's uh, an interesting tourist destination. When you think about those kind of, that kind of scale of numbers, and you think about the kind of reach that a civilization might have if it exists for 100 million or a billion years. Imagine how many planets you could explore in our galaxy alone if your civilization was that old and you had an applied physics of general relativity that allowed you to get to the nearest star system with the difficulty that you and I go to the local corner store. Uh, chances are you, you would have craft probing just about every planet in the galaxy that you resided in, maybe beyond. Well, Okay, but this brings up then of course, naturally, the Fermi paradox. The Fermi par- paradox is, is pretty funny, but I think a lot of people misunderstand what it means. This science class caters different levels of achievement. We really need to define our terms a little bit better, realizing that we have different levels of awareness. So explain what you just were talking about, Randall. Well, actually, I think Thomas was doing a pretty good job there of uh, he, of going into it. So um, uh, I'll just let you carry on with that answer, and you can kind of uh, integrate that in there, if that's okay with you, Thomas. Absolutely. So Enrico Fermi, back in 1950, was having a discussion with some of his peers in the particle physics uh, studies. I think it was one of the major national laboratories. And they were talking about the prevalence of, of other stars and the likelihood of other planets that are like our own and all of that. And, you know, he was just listening to it all. And he just cut right to the heart of the matter, which he was known to do. And I think the, the quote that's attributed to him is, where is everybody? Uh, but I think it might have been, where are they? Something a little more mundane. But what he meant is, if, if, there, if there's this much life in our galaxy, then, then why aren't we seeing them everywhere? And the funny thing is, uh, is that that seems to be exactly what was happening at that time. Um, and for the last 70 years hence, 
is people have been seeing really radically advanced technology operating in our airspace, which appears to be evidence of extremely advanced civilizations dropping by to have a look around. So his own paradox isn't really a paradox, is it? I mean, if he's asking where is everybody and they're in the sky, then it kind of answers itself. The real question that people have trouble with is why aren't they talking to us? Well, that's true, too. I mean, that is a really valid observation, by the way. And, um, you know, I think everybody envisions the idea when when we get talking about the vast numbers and the very large numbers of potential visitors to Earth that they would all be – seen flying around kind of like the flying cars in an episode of Futurama or something. But really, even though there's a lot of other planets out there, the spaces are very large. And there are a lot of other worlds and a lot of other planets, and we're kind of out in the backwaters here. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily to be expected that it would be as busy as, you know, a downtown rush hour in 2062 or whatever. That's right. The, I think the key to understanding the, the underlying question of the family paradox is is our own place within the universe. We love to think of ourselves because we're the champion of our own of our own food chain here on the planet. We've developed these marvelous technologies that trump anything that any other species has come up with by miles. So we think that we're, you know, we're virtually on the edge of godhood. But within the galactic and intergalactic context, we just may not be that interesting. We may be extremely primitive. I mean, we've only had electricity for like 100 years. These people have possibly had it for two to three billion years. You know, the truth is, is that they might not not be talking to us just because they're not that into us. (laughs) Well, you know, there may be be untold millions of civilizations at the same primitive level that we're at. doing the same kind of stupid, murderous, self-destructive things that we do every day. And why would they want to stop by in such a, a backwards and primitive, savage planet when there's probably much more advanced, much more interesting, forward, progressive civilizations out there where they, where they might actually be able to learn and trade with, you know, uh, start a... Yeah, okay, I mean, I think actually Earth's a pretty amazing world and and i can think of lots of reasons why people would want to come here but but i like how you brought it down to terms of our own on our own planet and we can think of some tribes in jungles on our own planet that rarely ever see modern civilization let alone have any concept of what it might be like to live in a large metropolitan city so you know that's that's a pretty good analogy we could be equivalent to the, the the local cannibals, you know, in the galaxy. You know, we cannibalize <laughs> each other, right? Like our our main occupation is mass destruction of each other. Uh, that may be just such a revolting and backwards way of living that they may just find it offensive and not want to spend much time, and certainly not want to reach out to us. Well, we have to. We also have to slow down just a little bit here because you know I know this is a really interesting, exciting conversation, but we tend to go through a lot of concepts and ideas in a hurry and I'd like to just back up a little bit and mention that I really liked the idea that you brought up where you were saying that whatever it is that they're using for propulsion the energy requirements can't be as large as we have sometimes assumed them to be especially when you think of all of the sightings 
if you take them at face value as being legitimate and that there really is something there, a very small UFOs, no bigger than some drones, and they operate completely silently on this same principle. So it's pretty unreasonable to think that something like that is going to have like a nuclear power plant sized energy propulsion system in it. There's there's well, got to be another explanation. Okay, on one hand, in one hand we have kind of a, a distorted view of nuclear power because our reactors are so big and everything. But I think that in time we'll be able to create portable nuclear reactors. I know Lockheed's working on one right now, a fusion reactor that I think could fit in the in the tr- the truck bed of a pickup truck. Um, eventually, those will become you know the size of a baseball. You know, uh, so I think it is well, possible they, they, they do they have they power. Put them in space probes. I mean, there are nuclear powered space probes out there. But I mean, you yeah, know, the idea is, is you know, I mean, we're we're still talking about small you know small devices. In comparison to like giant motherships, right? Like we, there's motherships, sure, but these little ones do it too. We have Thomas Morrison joining us, and he's a student of physics, and we're talking about what might make the UFOs tick in terms of getting from here to there and back again. With Gene and with Randall, you're in the Paracast. Listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. You've been hearing Dr. Wallach talking about 90 essential nutrients, keeping the body healthy. GCNteam.com now has Beyond Tangy Tangerine tablets, 60 plant-derived minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, packed in a powerful tablet. But that's not it. 160,000 auric points, a knockout punch to free radicals. Call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. That's 877-878-4203.
Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veterans nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR. DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com, that's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com, or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Thomas Morrison joining us with Randall and Gene. And this is the kind of discussion where we're literally traversing the universe in terms of possibilities, in terms of things. Now, when we look at the size of the propulsion system, as you mentioned, of course, it gets a lot smaller. Consider the computer that used to fill a large room. Right. And now look at your iPhone. Yeah, that's exactly part of it. But look, there's something even more fundamental that we haven't touched on yet. It's that the idea of these huge energy requirements comes from the Newtonian reaction propulsion concept, right? So in order to accelerate your craft to a certain energy level, so you can traverse huge distances, you need to expel a huge amount of energy matter momentum out the back of your vehicle in order to move. And and when we do the calculations in Newtonian reaction propulsion, the energy requirements to get to the nearest star in any kind of reasonable time frame are extremely huge. What we have to understand is that that doesn't apply to gravitational field propulsion. That's not a general relativistic requirement. That Look at it this way. When you look at a rocket accelerating, look at the huge amount of energy bursting out the rear end of it as it climbs out of the Earth's gravitational well, right? When you see a UFO, what, where is the energy? Where, where is it emitting energy? It doesn't take a huge amount of energy to move these things because they have no emission propulsion signature. And as a matter of fact, when you look at models like swimming in space-time or Robert Forward's model, it requires no energy other than whatever inherent losses there are in the efficiency of your technology in order to accelerate 
to any level. So these ideas that it takes a huge amount of energy to leap the cosmic void, those suddenly become really antiquated when you start looking at an applied physics of general relativity. Yeah, if we can just figure out how to do it. Now, this idea of swimming in space-time is really intriguing, and, and I'd like to go into that a little bit more where you describe what it is. But it reminds me of something that I saw fairly recently, actually, where they were able to take, actually, I think it was a dead fish or something that was like a dead fish, and the shape of it, when they put it into a stream, where the water was flowing against it, you would expect it to be washed down the stream. But because of the actual shape of this fish, it was completely not alive. No muscle movement, nothing. It just caused its its geometry to move in a way that this thing actually swims upstream mm-hmm. on its own. Like, how do you do that exactly? I'm not sure, but it's all perfectly within the laws of physics. Right. So maybe maybe it's some sort of analogy to that. I don't know. How does this? How does that work? Okay. So so with swimming in space time, all you have to do is uh, perform a series of cyclic changes in shape, or in some cases you might consider energy distribution. So you just have a cycles which are timed properly. Which perf- so okay. If you want to simple it to get it down to its simplest form. If you were in a steep gravitational field gradient and you wanted to move out of that field gradient. You wanted to move away from the object generating gravity. You could pull your arms together and then kick your legs out and then reach your arms out and pull your legs in. And you, if you repeated this gesture enough times, your center of gravity would move upwards away from the source of the gravitational field. Now, imagine that you build a machine that can do that. Okay, so let's say you have a system of, uh, of gears or springs or whatever, so you could move your centers of mass you know, in these directions in the right order. Then the only energy it's going to cost you in order to use that principle are the energy losses in your system, the amount of heat that your springs radiate, the uh, inefficiency of your gears and the friction in there. So there's no fundamental cost in energy. There's only an incidental technological cost in energy. And I figure if you've got about a billion years to figure out the the perfect these systems, you're going to find things like super elasticity and effects like like engineering at an atomic level that will reduce those losses close to zero. It'll probably cost you very little energy to travel from one star to the other when you've got a really efficient technology, right? I'm I'm just kind of having a bit of trouble kind of wrapping my mind around how how that would get past sort of ideas like the momentum – conservation okay. principle okay, let's go over and that, and that because, sort of thing because i mean let's go over that really quick every action has an equal and opposite reaction so if you're if it's going out if it's if you've got some force pushing you in any way regardless of how you really do it it's going to eat up some kind of corresponding that's right your converse reactions so it's, how do we get around that you're talking in very clear and, and correct terms of newtonian physics you know, where it's all reaction, right? In general relativity, you are circumnavigating that law. So there's a larger law of physics, general relativity, which actually includes Newtonian physics, by the way. Newtonian physics is like the weak field limit, basically, of, of general relativity. Yeah, it's like, so, it's like the ground layer. It's like where it all started. And like, So how does it get around that, though? Because it seems like you still have to use energy to manipulate the situation, regardless of how you model it. So where, where this is... is the, this is this is How the do crazy you come thing. out ahead on it? Is, is, okay, this is, 
Let me explain. When you use gravitational field propulsion, then your point of reference acquires no momentum and, acquire, and acquires no energy. So when you're doing this swimming of space-time, for example, you don't acquire any energy and you don't acquire any momentum. You're only changing position because the shape of your craft or the energy distribution is changing. So when you stop doing that motion, you don't have any forward motion. You stop moving. Right? There's no intrinsic increase in, en in your energy, so therefore it costs you no energy to get there. In, in your own frame of reference, you are stationary. So this idea of Newtonian physics where it costs you energy to gain energy, it costs you momentum to gain momentum, you can throw all that stuff out the window right now because that's not how it works. The same is true, for example, with Robert Forward's uh, negative matter propulsion concept. Uh, you've got a positive mass and an equal volume or an equal magnitude of negative matter, and they interact gravitationally to produce the acceleration. Note that with every increase in speed for your positive mass, you've got a, an equivalent increase in speed with your negative mass. So you're acquiring equal amounts of positive and negative energy between the two of them, and they self-cancel. So it costs no energy to accelerate. The same is true with the momentum. If your positive mass term, just think of it as positive in front of your mass term, and then your velocity. So that's your momentum. Now, if you have a negative mass, which is right behind it, following a couple to it, then you've got a negative sign, and then you've got a negative momentum. So those momentums cancel. So these energy requirements and momentum requirements, all that kind of stuff, that's not how gravitational field propulsion works. So you, you've transcended the primary obstacle to interstellar spaceflight once you get to apply general relativity. I have a quick question here, and we're going to go on with this trying to translate all this for everybody. How fast do we think we can go once we have dealt with all the limitations technologically in this kind of system? Okay, that's an interesting question because it raises some, it raises the, the, the specter of, okay, by whose reference frame? And this comes into play even when you deal with special relativity. Um, so in special relativity, as you accelerate close to the speed of light, they say that your craft and, you know, and the occupants within it experience time dilation. And to the outside observer, you know, they can even see that your clock is running more slowly from their reference frame. So to somebody on Earth, if you accelerate close to the speed of light to get to the nearest star, then you will arrive at some point, let's say, you know, we go to Alpha Centauri, it's like 4.2 light years away or whatever. From somebody on the Earth, it's going to take longer than that for you to get there. But because of your relativistic time dilation, your subjective time on board the craft is much smaller. It's much smaller by, by virtue of how close you get to the speed of light. So from your reference frame in the rocket traveling to the nearest star, there's no limit to how fast you can get there. Uh, there's like a instantaneous is like the upper upper limit, basically. So you could get to the nearest star in a day if you had the right propulsion system. On pe The people on the Earth would say it's, uh, it took you 4.2 years in a day to get there or whatever. So this has become subjective in relativity. And, and uh, you know... General relativity, general relativity is interesting because one of the things that we know for a fact and that people don't seem to process very often is most of the universe is moving away from us faster than the speed of light right now. We have a cosmic horizon where, where star systems, galaxies beyond that distance are moving away from us faster than the speed of light um, 
and we know that our portion of the of the universe, the observable universe, is only a very small fraction of the actual universe itself. So most of the universe is already moving away from each other. It's faster than the speed of light. And with the dark energy discovery, we know that there's an anti-gravitational field between the galaxy clusters right now. So with these kind of ingredients, it's pretty easy to imagine that we will learn how to harness the physics and be able to move at an arbitrarily high rate of speed to any point in the gal- in the universe that we want. Okay, maybe we'll even have a Stargate next. Thomas Morrison, Gene Steinberg, Jay Randall Murphy, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. For over 20 years, Extendivite has been helping people. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. Glad I found this product. I am 51 years old and started getting headaches a couple of times a week. I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was a little high at around 150 over 95. I found out about Extendivite and I ordered some to try it. Immediately, I felt better and it lowered my blood pressure and my headaches went away almost instant. I have been taking it now for about four months and I am so glad I found this product. You won't be disappointed. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So let's clarify here. Right now, if we're just looking at time dilation, it may take you a day to get to another star system, or a week, or whatever. But back on Earth, it's 4.2 years it's five years, it's 50 years, it's 100 years. By the time you get back, if you get back, all your relatives are gone. On the other hand, if the universe is expanding at a rate faster than the speed of light, maybe there's a way to travel from here to there where perceptibly on Earth, it's still a short period of time 
and perceptibly on your spaceship, it's a short period of time. So you get back in a week, not five years later. That's right. The special relativity is sort of the extension of Newtonian dynamics. So when you take Newton's theories, a reaction propulsion like a rocket, and you accelerate closer to the speed of light, you acquire all of that energy and all that momentum, it changes your relationship to space and time. But we're talking about general relativity. That's the law that governs the macroscopic motion of the cosmos and all that kind of stuff, right? So that physics doesn't have any kind of an upper speed limit. It looks theoretically like we're going to be able to find a way to travel to the nearest star system in a day or a week and then come back in a day or a week and a day or a week will have passed on Earth. All right. Now we're getting way past where my last <laughs> look into any of this is obviously, I mean, and because last time I checked into general relativity, there was an assumption that light was the speed of light was still the constant. And without it, you don't get general relativity. So I'm not really sure how we can say that there's no, you know, it's not okay. applied. There, the, the speed limit doesn't apply. And okay. it was also talked about mass. And it still says that the closer you get to the speed of light, the more mass you acquire. Now, okay, so it doesn't really matter how you do it, whether it's with this kind of anti-gravity propulsion or some sort of reaction propulsion, you're still having to deal with that factor. I was just looking at it this afternoon, so unless that's changed this I can clear this up. I can clear this up. It's because you can be right about one thing and wrong about another. Yeah. So the speed of light is absolutely, it holds for, this, for general relativity. Even gravitational waves move at the speed of light. This is a cosmic constant. But light is moving through space-time, right? So when you're talking about gravitational field propulsion, you're not moving through space-time. You're moving the space-time, basically distorting the space-time so that you change position. You're actually stationary with respect to your own reference frame. So those laws where you approach the speed of light and all that, they don't apply because you're not actually accelerating through space-time. You're not moving like okay, light. Okay. Right? It sounds like you just sort of jumped over the part, though, where mass is involved, and it's an intrinsic part of general relativity as well. And in order to warp space-time, you have to have the presence of mass, and mass increases with velocity, and therefore the energy requirements are still large, regardless of how what kind of propulsion system you're using. It seems to me that this shortcut is maybe just a little bit too much of a shortcut. I mean, but I'm not the expert here. <laughs> well, well, I don't think anybody's really an expert in this stuff because nobody's really engineered with general relativity yet, and we're still figuring out what's theoretically possible. But like we look at with Robert Forward's work on neg negative matter propulsion, if you have an equal magnitude of positive and negative mass, then the net mass of your system is zero, and yet you're accelerating. So we see with dark energy that we have an anti-gravitational field that permeates the entire universe. Now, our current model is that this is an intrinsic property of space-time that nobody can explain properly and leads to the cosmological constant catastrophe. Dark matter, dark energy? I mean, there's people that say, okay, it's stuff. And then there's people that just go, well, we haven't really, we don't know that it's stuff. And there's right. people that say, well, maybe actually the laws of physics do change in different parts of the universe. And then there's people that just say, well, I don't know, we don't know what it is, but we're going to put these numbers down and use them because that seems to be the, what fits. Important distinction to make is that we're not saying, was that we know that the effects are real. 
These are measurable. These are observable empirical realities. The causes we don't understand yet. So we don't know what dark energy is. We don't know what dark matter is. But we do know that their effects are very real. So we know that there's an anti-gravitational field permeating the universe right now that's accelerating galaxy clusters apart faster and faster and faster. So these effects are real, and how to produce them is a remaining question. So since we don't know what the real cause of these effects are, it's quite possible that dark energy is an effect that's produced by causes which we can manipulate in a lab. So if that's true, then we can produce that other polarity of gravitational field, the negative gravitational field that's all throughout the cosmos right now, in a concentrated form and open the doorway, perhaps, to these kind of interstellar capabilities. Now, weren't you doing some exp- trying to do some set up these experiments yourself? Uh, you were an artist with the studio, and you're pretty good at putting stuff together. I, I seem to recall on the forums when we were talking about this, you were actually trying to, to do a real-life experiment along these lines. Yes, this is where we get into, um, okay, so yes, I'm kind of a madman. I, I'm, a, I'm a leading artist <laughs> in New Orleans Carnival. I love making art. I love bringing beautiful, inspirational art to people on the streets. It's a great way to make a living. I get to basically dream up things that I would love to make and people pay me to make them. And that also affords me a, a, a precious opportunity to pursue my, my research and my studies and to do things like the Physics Frontiers podcast which we've done like 60 episodes now where we where myself and Dr. Jim Ranchler, a professor of physics at Texas A&M, we talk about the most interesting theoretical physics papers out there and we do podcasts about them so that people can sort of keep up with that stuff. So one of the things that I started to do a few years ago um, was I, I had studied Boyd Bushman. Now, you guys did an interview back in, what was it, 20, 2007, I think it might have been, way back. And you had a tiger by the tail, and I don't think that at the time you really got really knew it because he was kind of a nutty character, and he was he was fun and whimsical. And he wasn't always right about things, but he was a brilliant man. I was so fascinated with that interview that uh, I think it was November fourth, two thousand and seven, that I started researching Boyd Bushman. I started looking up his patents. I read his patents. I, I got my a hold of every interview and podcast that I could find. He has at least I don't know seventeen or eighteen really excellent patents. Uh, you can look them up on Google Patents um, that were funded and um, sponsored by Lockheed. Uh, he was a, a research scientist at Skunk Works. He was one of the few scientists in history to actually come out in public and talk about this kind of stuff. So one of the things that he talked, and he lost his security clearance, by the way, for talking to Nick Cook in the Billion Dollar Secret video. And he sued Lockheed over that because he was improperly prepared by the security personnel at Lockheed. And apparently he stepped on some kind of subject in that interview or maybe hit the cutting room floor. I don't know. But it it, it lost him his security clearance, which basically ended his career as a secret military research scientist who was a brilliant breakthrough scientist. One of the amazing patents that he has, which I just love because it could have been discovered hundred years earlier, he, he realized that you could, that, okay, you know how a magnetic field has a north and a south pole. Okay. So he, he realized that if you had a, a, a magnet, like a north pole on one side of a magnet, and if you arranged at a 90 degree angle, a series of north facing magnets towards that pole, that you could extend the magnetic field outward like a kind of a beam. And he experimented with that Lockheed, and he found that you could create incredibly disruptive weapons. You could create an artificial EMP pulse this way. Um, and one of the things, the applications that he had for this was a type of field propulsion that we might want to might want to talk about briefly. But 
he talked about in um, I think it was uh, Andromeda from here to Andromeda that um, he talked about an experiment that he did at Lockheed where he put a pair of, of, of magnets together, very powerful magnets together, very lightweight, but very powerful um, inside of a, a, an indistinctive mass, some kind of blob. Um, and then he had another blob which weighed the same amount of, uh, of weight. And then he dropped them simultaneously from a height of about 50 feet inside of an atrium at Lockheed. And he had people witness down below, like which one hit first or did they hit at the same time. And, he, and in each case, the witnesses reported that the, the the mass containing the magnets, which they were unaware of, hit the ground a little bit later than the ordinary mass. We're going to break now with Thomas Morrison. And Gene and Randall, you're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Deb's constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating kept giving her grief. She talked to her doctor to get some relief. Turns out Deb had irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC, which was a start. Saying yes to Linzess helped her do her part. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than six, and it should not be given to children six to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Talk to a doctor today. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. Sponsored by Avian Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Have you ever thought about turning your Glock, XD Family, or 1911 handgun into a semi-automatic carbine? It only takes about 30 seconds. The MacTech carbine upper is classified as an accessory and can be delivered right to your doorstep with no FFL or background check required. It's the world's most versatile pistol accessory. Build your custom upper today. Simply go to handgunconversion.com. That's handgunconversion.com. 
Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. In case you folks are wondering just what we're talking about here, on November 4th, 2007, with our original co-host, Boyd Bushman, was a guest on the PowerCast, a two-hour show. And all I can say is, if you want to get more of a sense of what that guy's about, listen to the episode. Thomas, go ahead, please. So Boyd Bushman uh, described this experiment, and in the film From Here to Andromeda, he even hold, holds up a little certificate that he submitted to Lockheed, um, where the witnesses have signed off on this finding, that the mass, which had a hidden pair of magnets forced together against their repulsive nature, that they hit the ground a little bit later than the ordinary mass. Okay, so that is an incredibly primitive proof of principle concept and uh, not something that is really scientific because you don't have any hard numbers or anything. So what I did a few years ago is I built a system which had an automated release with a remote control that would start a pair of calibrated digital timers at a catch box below that has a pair of laser beams with a optical trigger so that when you drop these masses from a, from a, a height like 50 feet or above, then you would start the timers and you would actually be able to quantify if one of these masses hit the ground or hit, go, hit the sandbox underneath the laser beams sooner or later or at the same time, right? So I built this whole thing. Uh, I happened to live at the, on the top floor of the St. Vincent Guest House on Magazine Street here in New Orleans at the time, um, which was about 55 feet off the off the ground. But the problem was is that the masses were so light that any amount of wind blew them off of their target trajectory, and they would crash in uh, next to my triggered laser triggered measuring apparatus. It drove me crazy. I waited for days for the wind to get so low that it wouldn't do this, but even the slightest breeze was enough to move those masses off of their trajectory falling straight down, and then 
when I realized that it was hopeless and I really needed an atrium like he had used at Lockheed, the freaking pandemic hit and the only atrium that I knew of uh, was unavailable to me. It's been a little while. I'm going to have to do a little tuning in order to get that experiment up and running again, but I will run it and I will let you know what the results are. I'm intrigued by it. I think Boyd Bushman was a fascinating character and I think he may have given us a key. The first technological interaction with gravitational fields you know, that, that we've ever seen. So if he did, then that will be a huge step forward, I think, for theoretical physics. Just to let people know that Boyd Bushman died in 2014. That's right. And one of the things I want to talk about real quickly is his deathbed confession video. If you listen to that Paracast episode, you will hear him describe the story of Bob Lazar. Now, we all have dark feelings, I think, about the hoax that is the Bob Lazar story. But Boyd had looked into it, and he was fascinated by it. And what he thought that he had found there was a story and a cover story. Okay, so he thinks that it was like um, an effort of research scientists who were compartmentalized within the military research community. That they wanted to get information out that element, some stable isotopes of element 115 were interesting and may have military applications. They couldn't do this directly because the compartmentalization makes it illegal for these different research teams to talk to each other about their findings. So he said that what happens is the security personnel will create a cover story, say, about aliens and, and UFOs inside a secret military base in order to get the story out disseminated widely for free in the press. And then buried within that story, the cover story, is, it, is the actual story, the payload of information that they want to deliver. It, you don't need to believe that this is true, even. All you need to know is that Boyd Bushman believed it, and he talked about it, not only on your podcast, but in some other podcasts and interviews. So his deathbed confession video is a replica of that story, that entire concept. So he created the exact same thing. He told a fake story using plastic, photo, like aliens, it was photographed through the Polaroid or whatever, about UFOs traveling to other star systems and photos of other stars. All of that was bogus. This was all the cover story. And so most people would write it off. It's like, oh, some crazy guy talking some totally bogus story about aliens and UFOs and government and all that stuff. So they would just write the whole thing off. But buried within that same video, he shows us some of these crystalline spheres. And he, and he shows you how he's reading voltage off of these crystalline spheres. And at one point, I think it was in a different interview, he talks about how they were able to alter the frequency um, of the energy coming off of these spheres to power his entire research lab at Lockheed for months on end, and they never ran out of juice. So, okay, so these spheres came from the planet Krypton. We have no idea where these came from, and it may have nothing to do with aliens at all. It probably doesn't. But it The reason be- I mention that is because in the Superman comic books, they use a crystalline kind of power source. Okay. As they do on Star Trek, and even on Stargate, they have the ZBM modules with right and they seem to have some kind of crystal in there too crystals are a big part of this whole thing they've been crystals have been a, a part of the whole supernatural paranormal ufo thing all the way back to the beginning yeah the crystals are very interesting because you're talking about a structure which has um like a, a very efficient internal resonance capability so if there's any kind of uh, vibration in the in the environment then the crystals will pick that up and make it resonate with that frequency right so Let's say, for example, that there really is a zero point energy and that there are there's a little jitter to matter. And let's say that you could 
organize the atoms in a piece of crystal so that they would vibrate at a frequency which tunes in to this stochastic energy and manages to convert some of it into usable electrical impulses. Then you would have an inexhaustible source of free energy for all intents and purposes, right? Or perhaps it's converting thermal energy, just the, this, the vibrations all around us now in the form of heat into electrical energy through a mechanism that we don't understand yet. In any case, what really intrigued me about this was it seemed like, oh, that might be just a totally harebrained claim or whatever. Somebody left a comment on, what's her name, Sharon Hill, uh, the I Doubt It uh, right. skeptic site. Sure. He, somebody, somebody left a comment on the story that she wrote about his, about his deathbed confession video. And he, the, the person writing the comment, it, it was, the, the, they used the handle, Uncle Boyd was fun. And they said that they had known uh, Boyd Bushman uh, because they were friends with his kids. And he was this like lovable, kind of zany old, old man that uh, made these wild claims. And he, and they, they talk about how he created like a, a bed of pins in this sheet. And he said that he could he could convert heat into electricity using this 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 concept. And it was, of course, they said that was impossible, so that can't be done. Well, he's actually got a patent about that concept in the Google patents. You can look it up. Lockheed sponsored it. They did research on this, and they have experimental findings inside the patent. So it appears that it, it was a successful patent. Then they said um, that he had these, these marble. That he, that he called the magical marbles that he would keep in his pocket. And he said that they would always maintain the same temperature even in different weather conditions and that they were somehow intelligent, like he didn't understand them. Well, they, of course, the, the person writing the comment didn't believe this either, but it, it's another indication that somebody actually saw these little crystalline spheres, had no idea what they were, and Boyd Bushman was fascinated with them, and they appeared to be generating energy. So we have independent confirmation accidentally from somebody who didn't believe any of Boyd's stories that these things actually existed. Hey, we're going to break with Thomas Morrison. Gene and Randall, you're in the Paracast. listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. USA Radio News with Dan Naraki. COVID vaccinations in the U.S. have picked up in the wake of the rise of new cases fueled by the spread of the Delta variant. The White House says more than 3 million people received their first dose of vaccine in the last week. 
White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain tweeting Saturday that more adults have received their first dose than at any time in the last two months and that large increases are being seen in states with large numbers of Delta cases. Nearly 70% of American adults have now received at least one dose. And the first flight evacuating Afghans who worked with the U.S. forces has landed in the United States. The flight, carrying more than 200 people, landed outside of Washington, D.C. late Friday night as part of a program to get those who assisted American troops out of the country as U.S. forces are being pulled out. In a statement, President Biden welcomed them to the country and thanked them for standing with the United States. This is USA Radio News. A strange sight spotted once again in the sky above Los Angeles. Here's Mike Fortier. A cargo pilot calls air traffic control at LAX after seeing something unusual to his right. Jetpack man. man. Apparently a man in a jetpack flying about 5,000 feet in the air a little after 6 o'clock Wednesday night. Unusual but not unprecedented. Pilots reporting sightings of jetpack man twice last year in the same area. Federal investigators haven't been able to get to the bottom of the story. Is it really someone with a jetpack or just a drone made to look like someone in a jetpack? The FBI tells the New York Times it's investigating. From the USA Ready News Florida Bureau, I'm Mike Fortier. And the U.S. continued their success in the Tokyo pool on Saturday. Caleb Dressel earned his fourth gold medal of the Games, winning the 50-meter freestyle and setting a new Olympic record in the process. Bobby Fink surged on the final lap of the 1,500-meter freestyle to grab another gold, the first for the U.S. in that event since 1984. This is USA Radio News. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So I would admit that when we had Boyd Bushman on the Paracast, although those many years ago, we kind of assumed he was somewhat of an eccentric, but maybe not so eccentric. Thomas? He was both eccentric. Um, he was also a little bit of a... Um kind of a wiseacre. One of the things that I learned when I was studying him online was that one of his his daughters uh, had a boyfriend or a prospective suitor come over one day. And Boyd very solemnly said, look, you know, let's go for a drive. And so he gets this he gets this kid, this teenage kid, high school kid in his car. They start driving and Boyd drives to the launch site for the for boats on a local lake and drives right into the lake. And the kid is freaking out, 
But Boyd had made his car into an amphibious car. It had little motors that would push it across the water, and it was waterproof. So he took the kid on a drive over the surface of the lake and back again just to you know, pull a prank on him and have some fun with this thing that he'd built. So Boyd was a very lovable, kind of zany character. Uh, he had some pretty wild ideas about stuff, but that's probably one of the reasons why he was such a genius and willing to like buck the system. Like he was willing to ask questions, you know, impertinent questions, and that's really what great science is about. You have to have the courage to ask impertinent questions to see if you can find new answers. And it appears to me from his patent record that he did that successfully over and over again. It appears that he was. I think he was also talking about this to some extent. He was involved in the development of the Red Eye, which is the first heat-seeking missile. Apparently, he was inspired by learning about how snakes were able to detect the presence of, of animals and people around them using like infrared cells in their olfactory system. And he was like, well, maybe we can do that technologically so that we can pick up the heat signature of an incoming missile or something, or some kind of object that we want to hit. And he developed, with his defense research teams, the technology for the heat-seeking missile. So, you know, this guy was brilliant. He was a little crazy, completely lovable. I think he was a true patriot. And I think that it's kind of tragic that so many people misunderstand him because they think that the deathbed confession video was about aliens and UFOs when that was just him kind of having fun with it to get the story and to show people how easy it is to get a story disseminated all around the world and to put a payload of information in there that nobody's going to notice unless you're looking for it. I really love your attitude uh, when it comes to that. And, and I've said this before on the show that I wouldn't be surprised if it's exactly someone like yourself or him or who knows the, the stroke of genius guy that, you know, put together the, the windshield wipers with blenders and parts from, you know, that, that you'd buy at the store. Someone's going to figure it out in their garage. You know, like that's how it's going to happen. These big secret companies, they, they're going to be going, I don't know. And then somebody's going to come out with it and it's just going to blow everybody away and everyone will have it. Zephyr you know, Cochran is the inventor of Warp Drive. <laughs> I don't want to speak out of turn, but what, what I will say is that there are conceptual models within general relativity that most people have it considered that I think we really do need to consider because the, the, those types of technologies may be closer within our reach than we realize. And one of the reasons why advancements in theoretical applied general relativity have been so slow is because we don't have a technology yet for applied general relativity. But that shouldn't slow us down because we know the general relativity works. And so I'll give you a little, guys a little, a little bit of a rundown that will help everybody in the audience understand something that's incredibly important about general relativity. General relativity in the weak field limit, which is, you know, low accelerations like we're dealing with, say, on the surface of the Earth, uh, it reduces down to basically the same equations as electrodynamics with one sign change. So, okay, so if you normally we have, say, electro, electromagnetism, you know that two negative charges will repel each other. And so that's an obvious effect. With general relativity, you can look at it and you can say that we have a mass charge that's like the Earth, and then we have another mass charge that's like your body, and they actually attract each other. 
just like an electrical field attracts each other, right? You can actually write out all the Maxwell equations for charge interactions with that simple sign reversal and get all of the inductive phenomena that we see with electromagnetism. Look at what electromagnetism has given to us. Like really all of our important technology today is in some way directly tied to electromagnetism. Well, it turns out that you have all of the same kinds of capabilities with gravitational charge interactions that you have with electrical charge interactions. Except the interesting thing about general relativity is that now you're dealing with like motive forces. You're not talking about just electrons moving around. You're talking about bodies of matter that move around. You can induce rotations. You can induce linear motions. You can, with general relativity, you can slow the rate of time and probably increase the speed of the, the rate of time also. You can even engineer spaces that are larger or smaller on the inside than they are on the outside based on your applied technology. So using these really simple inductive principles, you can do things with general relativity that most people haven't even considered. You know, we, we're still stuck in the Newtonian idea of general of gravity, right? We think a body of matter attracts another body of matter and that's all there is to it. It's like, no, the entire field of inductive phenomena applies to general relativity also. So there are technological capabilities there that we have not even dreamed of yet. And we need to look at those because there are applications that we haven't discovered yet that I think we can do in the near term with human technology. And it's probably going to have to happen through atomic level ordering of materials. Materials, but um, it's going to be a really exciting time when we create the first gravitational field in the lab. I should mention that there's there's already a proposal on the table. We could do this. Like there's a, it would be difficult. It would cost a few billion dollars. We spent that kind of money on the Large Hadron Collider. But you could. We know we know how to produce an artificial gravitational field in the lab right now. The thing is, is that it's not that interesting. Is that creating a really weak gravitational field in the lab doesn't really get us anything new. So nobody really wants to fund that experiment. But it's all based on general relativity. And it's all within our reach. So we are now crossing the Rubicon. We are now. In reach of producing gravitational fields. Okay, okay, so, okay. Yeah. We, I, I, Thomas, yeah. this is like really awesome. But like I was saying, like the we're going through so many things here. I'd like to just stop for a second. Sure. Uh, where you said they are now producing artificial gravitational fields in a lab. No, no, they can't. They, there's a proposal for this in the academic literature. Oh, okay. So they haven't. Oh, they haven't I, done. Okay. It. I thought it cost. It would right. cost at least a billion dollars. We'd have to make these really special, extremely powerful Helmholtz magnets in right. opposition and create – because we know that general relativity, in, in addition to matter – matter isn't the only thing that occurs in space – energy. And, and specifically, there's an electromagnetic um, stress energy tensor. So if you can create extremely intense electromagnetic fields, you can also create gravitational fields. Okay. Another, yeah, another right. thing that we okay. need to okay. – Okay, hang okay. on. Okay, yeah. like this is all fascinating and awesome, but I'd like to say I'd just like to interject in here sure. that I think they're absolutely on the right track, and that your thinking is on the right track, and that whoever is thinking about this at all is on the right track when they start talking magnets, superconductors, and electromagnetic fields instead of combustion reaction, like you're talking about. This is the direction that we need to go, and yes. it. It was a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago now, when I, I first saw a, a demonstration of the, the Meissner effect, right? The Meissner effect. Yes, and right. I thought, well, okay, so how do we know that when that magnet super, on the superconducting uh, table there, 
how do we know that it actually weighs anything anymore when it's levitating? And everybody was, I, so I wrote to MIT and a couple of labs and I said, you know, has anybody actually put that on a weigh scale to see what happens? Like, is there any loss? And they said it was a, you know, a stupid idea because of all of the usual physics that are behind it. And I said, yeah, but you don't know unless you've tried it, right? This is kind of new. And I guess some Russians or something did try it and they spun this magnet around and apparently they did get some reduction in the gravitational attraction, according to them. Have you heard of this? Is there anything to it? Before we continue with Thomas Morrison, student of physics, trying to look into the possibilities of anti-gravity propulsion, a system to take us to the stars. We'll have a lot more to come with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. We are GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. We've got listeners, lots of them. Around the world, around the clock, our listeners do what listeners do. They listen. And you know what listeners got? Needs. Needs for your products, your services, and money to buy those needs. With our network of over 1,000 radio stations, streaming on the web, and our satellite transmissions, we're reaching our listeners with quality conservative programming. But there's something our listeners don't have. Your offer to meet their needs. Any business needs buyers. But if our listeners don't hear your message, they're still going to buy what they need. Just not from your business. So let's fix this. Tell us about your business. Then let our super creative department go to work to craft just the right message for our GCN listeners. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just shoot us an email. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? Ninety-two thousand dollars ouch the irs left no room for jake to breathe they put a lien on my house took all the money out of my bank account took money out of my paychecks so it was a nightmare he needed help fast i figured that all these companies were the same until i called federal tax management you could just tell they knew what they were talking about right then and there i felt like i had some hope 
stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. <laughs> I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give Federal Tax Management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the Federal Tax Management Hotline now. 800-503-8625. The reviews for Extendivite are amazing. Amazon customer. It's amazing. I just ordered my second bottle. In one month, my blood pressure dropped significantly. I no longer get chest pain after I exercise. The reviews are spot on. My target is to get off of BP meds, and if it keeps going like this, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. Amazon customer. Extendivite works great. This product has made my blood pressure and cholesterol stable. I highly recommend it. Amazon customer. Excellent herbal formula. I've been using it to keep my cardiovascular system fine-tuned. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So let's continue with that. Randall, you posed a question of Thomas. Right. We're trying yes. to analyze what might happen, but maybe Thomas will set up his lab in his garage and he will do it. I, I guess I could do that. It wouldn't be a difficult experiment to run. I mean, it's done in high school physics labs yeah. all around the world. Yeah, the thing is, is that... When is I first it, okay. saw this, you couldn't hardly do it yourself because it was just kind of complex to get all the stuff together. But now, like you're saying, it's all over the place. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah you could do this. But, you wouldn't have to worry about the draft. Well, that's true. You do that in a nice, nice controlled <laughs> environment. The thing is, is that I don't see any reason to expect there to be a mass reduction because I, it's, it's just like if you put a magnet in opposition to another magnet. What happens with superconductive levitation, the Meissner effect, is that the magnetic field of the magnet gets repelled for, by the surface of the superconductor. And so it basically creates like a mirror. And so it repels itself off the surface of the superconductor. So it's kind of like having a, a magnet with the north pole facing upward and then putting a magnet on top of it, which has an, a north pole facing downward, right. just creating a magnetic back. repulsion. Right. So it's just magnetic suspension. But I mean, it, it's just magnetic suspension. Yeah, well, it, it's really kind of cool. And it is cool. Like these guys in Russia, I swear, I've read this article in more than one place, and it's been debunked here and there, and other people say, no, no, they've done it too. And then another person will say it's been debunked, and then another person will say, no, they've done it too. Check it out, because who knows? Yeah, I, mean, I, want, to, I want to see that paper. If you could send that to me, that'd be great. I'd love to review it. <laughs> anyway, the problem is the Russians do pe- tend to publish a lot of crazy stuff that turns out to be punk. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. But what the point is, is what I love about the stuff that you're doing here is you're the kind of guy that would go, well, let me check it out for myself. I yeah. could probably do that. You know, sure. that's yeah. the kind of people we need doing this. 
Yeah, it really does help to have sort of a, you know, independent kind of unwillingness to accept anything that's given to you as dogma. Yeah, and I mean, it's really easy to talk about stuff and to go, oh, well, hey, what about this and what about that? But not everybody has, you know, studio and materials and, the, and a way to set it all up and the will to actually make it work. There are some, some great experimentalists, though, out there. I mean, there's, there is a kind of a cottage industry of experimental radicals out there. The Advanced Propulsion Engineering Conferences, I think, uh, enlist a lot of research scientists along those lines who, who were willing to do those kind of, kind of experiments that would seem to defy everything that we know about quantum field theory in general relativity and they are constantly publishing youtube videos so you can check out their work there's some interesting out of the box thinking there i'm a little bit more of a traditionalist though i've I've read so many thousands of academic science papers that i feel pretty confident in the models that we have so far to an extent the only really big gap that we see right now in theoretical physics is the junction between quantum field theory and general relativity that's a huge problem because it, without a unified field theory that encompasses both of those theories, we've got the physics of quantum field theory, which is our engineering toolbox. It's how we build everything from your computers to you name it, right? Every kind of electrical phenomenon, all that stuff falls into quantum field theory. And then you've got general relativity, which is all the really fun, cool stuff that we can't do yet. And we don't have really a good engineering toolbox for that. We kind of a little loss on how you can produce measurable effects with general relativity using known technology. You're much more well-versed in this than I am, but I do believe that they're putting it to practical application when they're figuring out and doing the calculations for uh, things like geosynchronous satellites and mapping satellites and cell phone oh my God, yeah, relays. And because the, the way that math works out, they can increase the accuracy by like tenfold. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the time dilation effects between here and space are significant. They have a huge impact on the on the GPS system. Um, they have to correct for that on a, a basically a, a moment-by-moment basis. You know, we are using general relativity all over the place in order to predict and detect and measure and all that kind of stuff. So we know that general relativity is right to within the observational parameters of every experiment that we can do in the lab, on the Earth, that we can do astronomically. I guess there's, there's some oh, remaining questions about how it, it deals with dark energy and dark matter, but those are talk, talking about galactic and intergalactic scales. So for all practical purposes, we know that it's right. So we just can't build anything that makes gravitational fields yet. Or we have a proposal, but even that proposal would entail making an extremely weak gravitational field. A lot of cost and a lot yeah. of time and effort. Bring Let me ask you a question here, though. Yeah, go, Gene. We're starting at a point of zero here in terms of this being a natural development of Earth scientists. We got all this stuff we're working on, and with the right combination of circumstances, Thomas Morrison in his garage or somebody will come up with a workable system that can power a craft into space, into the stars. And now we've got those UFOs, our inspiration. And now we've got a certain event back in 1947 where a UFO may have crashed near Roswell, New Mexico, where we may have recovered something. Is this something that you would believe in, Thomas? Or are we setting all that aside? Because if we had that technology, how long would it take us to figure it out? 
Okay, these are good questions. I am an agnostic when it comes to Roswell because that's just such a hairball, and there's some good arguments about why it didn't happen. So, yeah. But on the other hand, you know, Jesse Marcel's son made some really interesting statements that seemed to refute the idea that it was a whole, the, the mogul balloon. So I'm not really sure what to make of it. But what is interesting is Dr. Eric Davis and Lou Elizondo seem to think that the U.S. or a corporation working closely with the DOD has possession of some kind of technology or material which was not of earthly origin. And I am absolutely fascinated by this because empirical evidence of that nature is exactly what this field could really use. You know, it would change, it would be a game changer. And I know that Jacques Vallée and Dr. Gary Nolan have talked about some work that they're doing with the material, and they're writing a paper about it, and they're going to submit that for peer review and see if they can get it published. So I'm cautious but excited that uh, we may see something in the academic literature about exactly that kind of material, and it might not be that far off. I think that what we could learn, you know, holy smokes, you know, that's... uh, that's a, that's a really difficult question because, you know, there, on one hand, you've got the argument, you give uh, uh, an iPhone to Aristotle and what's he going to do with it? You know, he doesn't even know how to measure an electrical current. Um, He'll call he his mother. Understand. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no cell tower. They didn't so call me. They haven't called me in six months. Why haven't you have called me? I'll tell you the truth. You hadn't called me in six months. Why? <laughs> But on the other hand, we're not we're not uh, ancient Greeks. We have a huge technological infrastructure. We have the ability to detect effects at a quantum level uh, that with, with the time scales that are incredibly tiny, attosecond imaging, all this kind of stuff. I think we could learn something. I think it would definitely help us move forward. I just don't know if a, if a, a fragment of a material is going to help us understand the macroscopic application and how it works and how it's powered and all of that kind of stuff. So it really depends on what, what it is that we that we recover uh, if we can get some kind of effect out of it you know it'd be it'd be the most fascinating puzzle in in the world to try to understand uh, a piece of technology even a fragment of material that came from a non-terrestrial civilization what we learn it's impossible to say it could be so far beyond us that we only make a few steps in a certain direction that may have you know I, I don't know it, you know it's well, this what brings you really us back. Want, You'd really want a full. You'd want you'd want a full UFO. You know, well, this, you'd want to have one of these babies to run some tests on. This really does bring us back to where we were at the beginning of the show, though, and we've got this sort of idea that well, maybe it could be so far beyond as we can never figure it out. But yet, you yourself were making the point that we're actually constructing matter out of its constituent parts now. Uh, you know, I I know that you know it seems like there could be things that are a lot more advanced than than. Us and there's probably no doubt that there are, and yet, I don't think that anything is now beyond our capability to figure out. If we were given, like you suggest, like a working model, like we could do it, we could we, we could definitely figure it out. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to agree with you. I mean, even if we knew, okay, so Jacques Vallée, one of the most fascinating statements that I've heard in recent years is uh, Jacques Vallée talked about on an interview on. Uh, watched on YouTube. I, I can't remember the specific one right now. It was just a few years ago. He, he was talking about a material that they were studying where they found that there was a specific element in that composition, and that specific element has five stable naturally occurring isotopes, right? And he said that in this material, they found only three 
of these isotopes. So, okay, so if you so if you if you mine this stuff, for example, anywhere on the Earth, say it's magnesium or whatever, um, you're going to find all of the isotopes in certain abundances in that material. And all of our technology basically boils, almost all of our technology, except for maybe nuclear technology, um, boils down to just purifying it so you use the element. Thomas, let's do our break. We'll have more. Come with Gene Randall and Thomas, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. And use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Thomas Morrison, he is not trying to be a modern-day Dr. Brackish Oaken. I don't know Who's if he that? knows. You don't know who Dr. Brackish Oaken is. Okay. okay. In the movie Independence Day, this crazy scientist with long hair, played by Brent Spiner. (laughs) Now, we don't want you to be that kind of character, except that he was exposed to a real spaceship in that movie. But the thing is here, if we recovered something like that, (laughs) and we had it somewhere, would there be a group of scientists doing it? Because the thing you mentioned right towards the beginning of the show with regard to the Pentagon UAP task force report is that we took all that stuff about the UFO field before the early 2000s 
and we pretended it never existed. All those sightings, all those trace reports from people that maybe some craft had landed, reports of alien implants, possibly something happening at Roswell. We pretended it never happened, and we're starting from scratch. I think that was a a strategic move on the part of the military, because if you continue the conversation from where it left off in 1950 or the 60s or wherever you want to say that they basically closed the door on it and decided they were just going to ridicule the whole subject in the mainstream press for the rest of eternity. If you accept that, then they become liable for all of the all of the actions that they made. They become liable for the disinformation campaign. They become liable for everybody who lost a job for being uh, interested in UFOs. You know, they be- the liability, the legal liability is enormous. So I think they decided to hell with that. We're not going to open the door to that kind of litigation. Let's just pretend that we just learned about this yesterday and start moving forward like we should have in the beginning. That's my take on it. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. Just before the break there, we were getting into uh, or continuing on the idea of a unified field theory and that if we're going to solve this problem, we need to come up with something that does that. And we were talking about electromagnetism and how really uh, when you get to certain scales, electromagnetism and everything else becomes one unified theory. So maybe we need to work on that. But just before we go any further on this, I, I do want to ask you a question. And we have a question from Marduk from the forums, too. Oh, great. But there's a guy who came up with something called Phoenix Theory. Have you heard of that and looked into it at all? Because Phoenix it, Theory, no. The Phoenix, oh, yeah, okay. Well, you have got to check this out because it is serious. It's not uh, something like just a, you know, like off the top of someone's head. It's real brain-twisting stuff that looks at the universe and all the fundamental forces of nature similar to relativity theory in that it's a geometric approach Mm -hmm. to making things work. And he claims that it unifies everything. It's all solved by it. And there are some people who are taking it really seriously and other people who are kind of like standoffish. And yet, from what I've seen, nobody has been able to really say that it, it does, it's not coherent. So something to check into, maybe. Yeah, I'd like to read about it. Um, I think the main thing you want to look at whenever you've got a claim of that nature is, does it make any predictions that we can test? This was sort of the bugaboo with super, with super string theory for a long time, is that it was fascinating and elegant theory, but it didn't seem to make any cogent predictions that were, it was non-falsifiable. Like for every prediction that it made of something, some new effect, there were uh, uh, 10 to the 500th versions of the theory which didn't make that prediction. So you couldn't ever falsify the claim. So that's right. what you want to look at. If it, well, if it actually to, does unify the two, then there, it should be able to make a prediction that we can test. Yeah. Well, that's according to what the guy says, it stands up to every single test of the of the current model that people are using, and it goes beyond that. And okay. so it, it, all the tests that, like every single test they've already done, it all is completely in harmony with that. It doesn't break it anywhere. It completely works with it. And it says, okay, we should be able to do this with it as well. And so that's kind of, there's people who are saying, this is the new future of physics. 
It's like really serious physics people are saying this. Well, that's really exciting. I, I would love to see what kind of predictions it makes that we might be able to test so that we can find out if it makes an accurate prediction. I've never seen yet, I don't think, uh, any kind of proposal that made a prediction that was um, different from either quantum field theory or general relativity within their own domain. So if we can offer that, then we've right. got well, it. It unifies gravitation with the other four fundamental forces of nature. And, I really and, love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is right up your alley. You'll love it. Check it out. There was, there was a model... Um, there was a model back in the, I think, 50s or 60s uh, where they were looking at a five-dimensional model um, where you could unify electromagnetism and general relativity. But that was that proved to be faulty, and they weren't they couldn't move forward with that because it made predictions that weren't true. So you know, I'd love to see something like that. That's that we need a breakthrough like that. I have no doubt that nature speaks a single language, and that we're just seeing two different arms of that language, and that ultimately they do unify. It's one universe. I, it, it doesn't operate by two different sets of laws. They have to intersect somewhere. I think that the entropic gravity model is a really interesting um, pathway that might yield fruit. Um, that's kind of a, like an information uh, nature theory that unifies uh, the concepts in quantum field theory with general relativity. So there's work being done on that. Eric Verlind has been doing a lot of work in that direction. I hope it all bears fruit. He says that he can predict things like dark energy effects with his model. So it won't, we should know soon. The dark energy survey being conducted right now is measuring the dark energy effects uh, between an entire wide assortment of galaxy clusters throughout the universe looking for anisotropies for any kind of inconsistency in the in the model that we know of today where uh, dark energy is directly proportional to distance that's the end of the story so if they can find any any deviations from that law then we'll also be looking at a step forward I think for gravitational field theory and perhaps uh, a way into a new way of looking a new way of unifying uh, quantum field theory with general relativity um, well, there's a couple things that I want to touch on real quickly oh, okay. alright um, yeah, we we hit- we've got a half hour left on the main uh, episode of the show here and uh, we'll try and get Marduk's question in before the the main show is over. That sounds great. Okay. So there's there's two things I want to touch on real quickly that we we we, we talked about. Jacques Vallée was was analyzing materials. Dr. Gary Nolan. I think people need to know about this because it's really fascinating. If you if I think that Jacques Vallée is honest. Um, so I think he's I think that he's telling the truth about this. So he said that they have a material and one of the elements in that material they could find three different isotopes of the five that occur naturally. And what he said was that they found them in equal abundances, one third, one third, one third. Okay, that doesn't that never happens in nature. It doesn't happen in our solar system. It doesn't happen in any other solar system. This is not how physics and nuclear physics works. You will never find an equal distribution of abundances like that unless it's engineered. So somebody had to have separated, and this is his point, somebody had to have separated all of those isotopes and then used those specific isotopes in exact thirds for a reason, a technological reason, right? unless it was some kind of crazy hoax or something that somebody spent a fortune making for no reason. So that may, that may lead us into a deeper understanding of an exotic technology. If indeed that's what they're dealing with. So that's the paper. That's the paper that they're talking about. Right. Yeah. You know, I hear stuff like that and I'm I'm like, I'm cautiously optimistic, but uh, you've, you've, have you heard of the Bob White artifact? No. Okay. Well, there was a very similar kind of claim being made with that. Like this was, 
a piece of material claimed to have come from an unidentified flying object, and it uh, was analyzed for all its various um, materials that were in it, and it was deemed to have been definitely something that had been the result of some sort of manufacture, and it was so weird-looking that people just thought, well, you know, I don't know what this would be made for, but it's, you know, it's pretty bizarre, and so people tend to tended to believe it, until some of the folks over at the uh, Skeptical Inquirer, you know, I really love those guys. <laughs> it's it's you got to take into account the other guys' point of view and the skeptics yep. too, because what they did is they figured it out. We'll hear more about Bob White, who was on the Paracast, by the way. When he was still alive, not after. With Gene, Randall, and Thomas, you're in The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com it's about time for the 15th anniversary of sunny bay and it may be our 15 year anniversary but it's your chance at winning from weekly drawings in our contest for better health we owe our success to you gcn listeners so as our thanks you may win our grand prize an amazon gift card plus sunny bay's complete set of superior pain relief products and services with a total prize value up to four thousand one hundred fifty two dollars how do you enter the sunny bay 15th anniversary contest for better health easy just click sunny-bay.com no purchase necessary remember there will be weekly drawings yes it's our 15th anniversary and it's your chance to win in sunny bay's 15th anniversary contest for better health for complete contest rules and prize values visit sunny-bay.com that's sunny-bay.com Seven million children suffer from asthma more than any other chronic disease. Most asthma attacks are caused by allergic reactions to allergens, including those left behind by cockroaches and mice. In fact, 82% of U.S. households contain mouse allergens, and cockroaches are found in up to 98% of urban homes. How can you protect your family? Find out at PestWorld.org. A message from the National Pest Management Association and the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. 
Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the health insurance helpline can help you get it. We specialize in helping the self-employed and people just like you that need affordable health insurance to get it. We have short and long-term health insurance plans and some even cover dental, vision, and prescription drugs. Don't take a risk with your family health insurance, it's not worth it. If you're self-employed or now need affordable health insurance, call right now and learn for free how to get it. Listen, affordable health insurance plans for everyone just like you are a free phone call away. So give us a shout right now. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. That's 800-670-0946. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, so we're talking here about Bob White and this strange artifact that he was parading around for a number of years. And our friends over at the Skeptical Inquirer, and we do talk to them. I mean, you have to do that because if you don't, you're just going to leave yourself open to all kinds of, you know. So anyway. Bob White was author of a book called UFO Hard Evidence, which he's talking about this artifact. It was on the August 1st, 2006 episode of the Paracast, which also featured Dr. Jesse Marcel Jr., but in separate segments. Okay, so Skeptical Inquirer gets a hold of this artifact, Randall, and what? Can they get our, our old episodes like that on Spotify now, too? Is that, Are they all up there now? Okay, with Apple's podcasts, they only let you show the last 300 episodes. I mean, we think 300 episodes. We've had over 800 episodes. If you count the Paracast Plus, it's 705 episodes. So let me talk about Spotify. Um, regular Spotify, the entire history of the Paracast is on there. All episodes from the beginning with the free version. We now also offer the Paracast Plus version starting from 2014, featuring the Paracast with enhanced audio, free of the network ads, and the After the Paracast podcast. That's available also on Spotify for a monthly subscription only in the U.S. for now. It'll be expanded worldwide over time. So that explains it. Yes, from Spotify, from the Paracast.com website, you can hear the episodes. The one we talked about with Boyd Bushman from 2007, with Bob White from 2006. Now that we've done that, Randall, how did they resolve this, the Skeptical Inquirer? 
Right. Well, these guys, okay, so they have a look at this object, and I guess one of their people somewhere, and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to give all the gory details, but they identified it as a piece of industrial waste, basically, a byproduct of a grinding process where specific kinds of metals were shaped into roughly the form that they need, but then it would go through a grinding process to refine the shape. And what would happen is the shavings of this, of the, these various metals would come down and form like a stalagmite. Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that right? sample. It's like a teardrop shape, but it's scaly. Yeah, it's all, yeah, exactly. It looks like kind of like a giant uh, hair follicle or something. And, yeah. uh, and so all of these strange elements and combinations of them, and for sure they were manufactured, uh, but there was a really prosaic explanation, too. So, you know. Linda Moulton Howe also had like a, an arts parts piece that also looks like some kind of industrial slag. Um, I think they even identified the process. It was some kind of lead separation process that could produce this kind of layered slag. Okay, but the, there's a huge difference, though, between that that kind of understandable mistake um, and a, a material which has – uh, specific uh, non-naturally occurring abundance of isotopes in the distribution of thirds. That's not something. I mean, oh, yeah, we sure. can do I mean, that. We can yeah. we can separate out isotopes, but if they're them back grinding together, down an alloy, you know, an alloy that's got those in those, then you're going to get no, a buildup of exactly that. No, but that's the thing is that there is no alloy in, on Earth which has that right. So, so the the, the atomic, the elemental, the isotopic composition. Um, is different than anything that you can find in any ore on Earth, and that's what all of our, or really almost all of our technology, except for nuclear technology, right, but does. I did, say, I did say alloy. Alloys are manufactured by us, right? So, you know. Yes. Yeah, but an alloy is different than. I'm not an uh, element. I'm not talking elements. I'm talking alloys. Right. So it's easy. It's easy to mistake an alloy. You know, like if if the alloy is composed of of, of materials which, in their elemental distribution, have isotopic ratios which are consistent with terrestrial. Um, abundances, then you're going to have a terrestrial material that's just some kind of weird industrial product. You're not going to find that kind of thing with weird isotopic distributions because we don't really engineer with isotopic specific isotopes, except for in like the nuclear in nuclear technologies, which are you know which are very specific and limited. You don't you know, it's always either a really light element or a really heavy element where they isolate the specific isotopes. They they also isolate isolate specific isotopes of all the elements on the periodic table for research purposes, but it's expensive and you're not going to come across that sitting out in a field, you know, so... Well, I mean, they highly refine things out there, ores down to individual elements of various isotopes yeah. and then put no, together, no, no, put no. them together don't, with don't, alloys, so... Don't confuse elements with isotopes. You know, okay, no, so I know, but... No, we, can, we can separate isotopes. Isotopes are just a different version of an element, basically. No. It's a finer technology, right? So there's like 92 stable naturally occurring elements so we, we separate those out and use them for industrial purposes all the time. We purify them all the time. What we very rarely do is go a step further and isolate the specific isotopes of each element, right? There's like 243, I think, naturally occurring stable isotopes. We don't engineer with, with matter at an isotopic level yet. So what Jacques Vallée and Dr. Gary Nolan are onto are – it's something very interesting. If they, if they do have what they say they have, and they write a paper, and it gets peer reviewed and published, we should all read it. And you know, because oh it, yeah, it needs, yeah, 
Yeah, oh, it could yeah, be a, sure. a linchpin to understanding yeah. the, an exotic technology. If we don't um, look at it, we're not going to know. That's for sure. I what exactly. I think is, you know, it needs to also have some kind of design into it. Like there was, uh, they were years ago. They were talking about one of the samples that was allegedly shot off of a UFO by a jet interceptor that was pursuing it. And this piece that the pilot reported as being glowing went right down to the ground where it was recovered. And according to the, uh, you know, whether you believe it or not, it uh, seems to be a reasonable kind of chain of, of evidence that goes along with it, that it was composed of these nanospheres oh, of, a, right. of, a, of, a mag, of a type of magnesium. And we seem to see that more than once when we're talking about these materials. So when you get like a lattice work that resembles like a crystalline structure of a very specific type of an element, I mean, that's looking manufactured. Sure. Yeah, I think Wilbur Smith uh, talked about that. I think that he referenced that in an email or something to somebody. Uh, we, ne- we never actually got to examine that material, but we heard about we heard about the analysis. Um, right. I don't know what happened to that sample, but that was really fascinating. If if my thinking is correct on the subject, then the material of the hull of these craft is really the key to understanding how they move. How so do you think be that works important. then? How, what, like, how is that? I believe I I think that like what we're seeing with certain metamaterials research right now. Um, there's some studies being done on uh, the electromagnetic stress energy tensor and how it works with certain types of metamaterials. They find that they can engineer the stress energy tensor within the material. So you could, in theory, uh, make a material heavier or lighter depending on how you manufacture it and how you activate it. So we're already seeing uh, steps in that direction right now. They're very, they're very timid kind of first steps in that direction. But it shows it, it points to the idea that a material by engineering a material properly, you should be able to modulate the stress energy tensor, which is the key factor in general relativity for creating gravitational fields. We're so, going to break now. Thomas Morrison joining us with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. We've all seen and perhaps use the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com keyword antibacterial or call 877-878-4203. USA Radio News. I'm Brad Bernard. Anger 
and frustration mounted as President Joe Biden showed no signs of reversing plans to allow a nationwide eviction moratorium to expire at midnight Saturday. One Democratic lawmaker even camping outside the Capitol in protest as millions of Americans were about to be forced from their homes. Congressman James P. McGovern, Democrat from Massachusetts and chairman of the House Rules Committee. Research tells us that if someone is evicted, they are most likely to move in with friends or family or into a shelter. That only increases community spread and leads to more infections. Australia's east coast states of New South Wales and Queensland faced an escalating battle against the COVID-19 Delta variant on Sunday with millions under strict lockdown and authorities urging more testing and vaccinations to rein in the outbreaks. This is USA Radio News. Unable to produce the final text of a nearly $1 trillion infrastructure bill, the Senate wrapped up a rare Saturday session making little visible progress on the legislative package, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer vowed the work would get done. The Senate planned to reconvene Sunday. Senators and staff have been laboring behind the scenes for days to write what is certain to be a massive piece of legislation. An early draft swelled beyond 2,500 pages. If you are vaccinated, you have 25 times less chance of getting hospitalized or dying. Dr. Megan Rainey, Brown University emergency physician. Florida reported 21,683 new cases of COVID-19, the state's highest one-day total since the start of the pandemic, according to federal health data released Saturday. The state has become the new national epicenter for the virus, accounting for around a fifth of all new cases in the U.S. This is USA Radio News. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big, bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-985-1610. That's 800-985-1610. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. You know, when I think of what Thomas is doing here, we're talking about the various influences, frankly, of the presence of UFOs, how our science may reach a point where we could do some of the things these UFOs are capable of doing in terms of maneuverability, maybe be able to take us to the stars in a relatively short period of time. And I think of the phrase that was coined by a writer, say, 60 years ago, Ray Palmer, flying saucers are here to make us think. And maybe it is that the presence, the entire presence of the UFO mystery, just a theory, folks, is not here to represent aliens, although it could be, but to make us think about things just like sci-fi makes us think. Star Trek made us think. 
and we had cell phones and we had we had tablets not necessarily from star trek i think from 2001 the point being we talked about possibly developing warp drive as a result of star trek ufos look what they do look at their maneuverability we think in terms of our science trying to do something like that and maybe that's all they're here for and once we get to point a they'll take us to point b yeah i think that it is a really interesting question to raise I think it's impossible to know if this is an intentional effect or if it's just a side effect. But I do note that a lot of people who have these kind of experiences, even a modest sighting like my own, are prompted to dig and study and research and think and look at new possibilities in new ways. And more, more than that, by showing us an example of what can be done, we are given the gift of knowing that it's possible and therefore just trying to work backwards on how to get there. If we hadn't ever seen UFOs in our atmosphere, we probably wouldn't be asking these kinds of questions. We probably wouldn't be looking for warp field propulsion. Even having the rumors circulating in our culture that this is happening and this could be done, these are the performance characteristics, really gets a lot of bright minds thinking. And I think a lot of people in your audience probably feel the same way. It's just uh, it's one of the things I love about this subject is just about every leading edge, uh, scientific, theoretical, breakthrough, engineering concept, you dig into all of it when you're studying this subject. Everything from nuclear physics to cosmology to astrophysics to theoretical physics to materials engineering. I mean, if you want to dig into this subject, you're going to have to open up a book and start digging because there's a lot to learn. You are so right. This is one of the things that I've always loved about ufology. If you take it seriously, I mean, it's got a wonderful cultural angle as well. But if you look at it objectively, you can dig all the way down into the science books as far as you want to go to try and figure out what's going on. And you will still not find it. It's going to take inventiveness. It takes intelligence. It's just so fascinating. Even if you're not finding the answers, you're learning how to ask really interesting questions. And you're finding Finding out a lot of interesting data that you would never have come across otherwise. We're talking superconductors and crystal yeah. lattices. That's right. And spectroscopic analysis and in once you learn about that stuff, you learn about how they're related to the rest of the things that we do do and we do know about and are yeah. wonderful discoveries in everyday science as well. It's just such a mind expanding subject. It's it's. Yeah, I mean, we're on the same track there. All right, so uh, let's get to Marduk's question here. Let's hear it. All right. Uh, we're talking about some electromagnetics. Uh, he's, he asked, I'll just read it sort of verbatim here. Mm-hmm. Now, he's been, and maybe you know something about this as well, he's been in communication with Ray Stanford. Mm-hmm. And Ray Stanford apparently had done some experiments where he was able to bounce uh, a laser off of the field that one of these craft was making, he claims. That's right. So, so what he says here is, while we're talking about Stanford, what is your take on Stanford's contention that UFOs use electromagnetic plasmas akin to magnetohydrodynamic propulsion? He claims to have definitive evidence of plasma sheaths with demonstrable field effects. Others, like guys at ufotheory.com say it's distorting space-time to move. Finding a field-testable working theory would be great progress indeed uh, instead of endless hypothesizing. So, okay, so where do we go with that? 
Okay, so a uh, race dancer's model um, is echoing something that Stanton Friedman is looking into also. Um, whether you want to call it magnetoplasma dynamic or magnetoaerodynamic, what that concept entails is creating a strong electrical field so that you can polarize the atmosphere around the craft and then accelerating those the ions behind you to create a reaction acceleration of the craft forward. All right, so that's an interesting and viable idea. I think that military technology could probably make use of that. It doesn't seem to explain the kinds of uh, incidents that we run into with like the Tic Tac you know, AAV from the Nimitz case, for example, um, because it's still a reaction propulsion system. And there's a couple things that are notable about these kind of incidents is one is they don't create a burning trail of plasma behind them, what you would see with any kind of reaction propulsion, whether it's magnetoplasma dynamic or any other, you'd create a huge burning pillar of fire uh, behind you as you travel using that kind of system or really any kind of system. The, the, the Tic Tac, uh, you know, I, I estimated on sort of back of the envelope calculation, um, According to Kevin Day, that uh, I think he said that the objects are dropping from like 28,000 feet um, down to the surface of the ocean in 0.78 seconds. Um, if you do like an average speed on that, you end up with you know speeds that are like twice as great uh, as the space shuttle. And when the right. space shuttle to goes totally hypersonic, yeah. Yeah, totally hypersonic, and the space shuttle is like creating a huge burning flame trail as it enters the atmosphere. It's got the heat shields and everything. The thing is engulfed in flame, and it's coming down from the upper atmosphere while it's doing this. This, these kind of objects are capable of twice that speed at sea level. So anything that was using a reaction propulsion system would be enveloped in flame and create a huge sonic boom and all that kind of stuff, right? So. It's a great idea. It's a cool idea. I think that it's got applications, but I don't see how it could explain the performance characteristics we're seeing with the AAVs, anomalous aerial vehicles, or if you prefer, UFOs. Yeah, I guess we probably, I suspect, all are nodding our heads in agreement with that. Whatever they're doing, however they are doing it, it's, it's almost as if you're suggesting that they're not really moving. It's more like an illusion test. They're they're manipulating the reality around them. It's almost like they they're able to operate in some quasi hyperspace or something. It's, it's well, it's, it seems it seems it seems really exotic and kind of um, it, it seems seems that kind of magical to us. But in reality, it's really not. When you look at the physics, the truth is is that if you were standing on board something like the Tic Tac. And it accelerated from a standstill to 50,000 miles an hour. You wouldn't feel a thing because you're standing on a piece of space-time which is kind of flat. But the distortion field is moving you from one position to another. You're not acquiring momentum. You're not acquiring energy. You wouldn't feel any acceleration at all. You could zigzag through the atmosphere and you'd be standing there and you wouldn't feel any forces at all. There's no G-forces with this kind of with with general relativity propulsions. Yeah, they all cancel right. out when you think about it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's you know. Which is, which would be a byproduct of of making it work that way. It's just like, it's just that, how, right? That's the part we still have to figure out. And, and and what is really cool about your statement, like you having seen a UFO yourself, myself, and along with countless other people, is, yeah, we we've seen them, so we know it's possible. That's right. What do you do though when you get these people that just go? 
I don't even want to listen to it. It's not possible. And therefore, whatever it is, it's all just people making things up or whatever. There's still those people out there. Do we just kind of ignore them or do we or do we try to convince them or how do we deal with those kind of people? Okay, well, I like to I like to listen. So, for example, um, Mick West is uh, popular nowadays because he's been very vocal and very effective at uh, debunking a lot of uh, prosaic evidence, which has been presented as anomalous. Right. We'll talk about Mr. West in our next segment with Gene Randall and Thomas. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Right now, millions of Americans have an uneasy feeling about the future. That's why they're quietly stockpiling as much emergency food as they can. What about you? Do you have enough emergency food to get you through a prolonged crisis? If not, take a moment to shop My Patriot Supply. We're America's leader in emergency preparedness and survival. Since 2008, we've served several million American families like yours. In fact, our mission is your survival. So head on over to MyPatriotSupply.com and grab a few of our tasty emergency food kits. Our food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage and is shipped quickly and discreetly to your door. One day, you might be eating breakfast, lunch, or dinner while everyone else is standing in a food line. Avoid that. It's too late to act once the other shoe drops. It's time to be self-reliant and prepared, and now you can. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com, MyPatriotSupply.com. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Diarco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system. And it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit ShopSuperTea.com. That's Shop, S-H-O-P, Super, S-U-P-E-R, T-T-E-A, dot com. So the complete website is ShopSuperTea.com. Or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. That's ShopSuperTea.com at 818-984-6100. 
Hi, this is Sophie Winnick, longtime distributor and user of Longevity products. In the last few years, my family went through a crisis. Everything else in my life, including my business, had to be put on the back burner. Thankfully, life is getting back to normal now. But the one thing I never had to worry about was my business and my monthly commission. I've been a distributor for Longevity for over 17 years, since before it was Longevity. And I've got to say, the most amazing thing about this company is the people. While my family was in crisis, other distributors stepped in and helped my customers, simply because that's what Longevity people do, even for people they don't know. For me, it has never been about getting rich. It was about a product I could stand behind, a company I could count on, and a monthly commission check that has never not once been late in 17 years. Longevity is truly a business for everyone, even people who have too much to do. I'm Sophie Winnick. I'm just like you. I have a real life, real ups and downs, but I know I will always have Longevity. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We should mention here that Thomas Morrison has been hoodwinked to hang in here for after the Paracast. He can't leave (laughs) until he does that. He's laughing. He doesn't know the hand is going to come out of the screen. Hold him by the neck. And say, Are we already will have we made the transition or you'll be surprised. Let's talk about <laughs> Mr. West because he's quoted everywhere. And he seems like a decent guy. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got a much more um, placid demeanor than I have by a long shot. Um, I really I think his civility is, is laudable. And he makes great arguments. I mean, he's debunked a lot of prosaic uh, incidents, which, you know, have been presented as UFOs and that kind of thing. And um, I have to commend him for that. The problem is, is that he seems to think that because some uh, of the evidence uh, is prosaic, that all of it is prosaic. And, you know, I, I had trouble understanding why he was so invested in debunking absolutely every piece of evidence of any kind that came forward to suggest that, that we may, may be visited by extraterrestrial technologies on occasion. And then there was a New Yorker article, I think it was, that talked, um, went into length about his work and his life and talked a little bit about his book. And in his book, he states that when he was a child, he had heard about a story in England where somebody had claimed that aliens had come and abducted them and run experiments and so forth. And he was absolutely terrified. He was like shaking in his boots about this concept that an advanced, intelligent alien race could come to the earth and uh, pull him out of his bed and do terrible things to him. And... That's when I realized that he's basically been kind of comforting his inner child by trying to discredit the entire idea <laughs> that we could be visited by a more advanced civilization. I think he may have been involved or had heard about how that got debunked. That's that particular story, but he's been kind of on a mission ever since. I think that he's done a great job in, in most cases of finding prosaic explanations for certain events, but I think that he's gone uh, astray on trying to debunk the three clips from the DOD, which uh, have been officially designated as evidence of unidentified incursions. Well, we talked a bit about that, actually, before your appearance on the show. And actually, I'd like to bring that up because you made a really good point that Mick had me completely convinced that the Go Fast video was, oh, well, nothing to it. Because all of the information that was required to arrive at his conclusions are right there in the video itself. And the parallax effect 
definitely explains it. And then you made the point. Just because it's moving slow, and I, th- I think his math and his analysis is excellent. Just because it's moving slow doesn't mean that it's not an anomalous object. I mean, he didn't actually positively identify what it is. All he did is say that it's not going fast. Well, we already know that the labels to these videos can happen really at any point in the intelligence collection chain and really have no bearing on the content of the videos. So the fact that it's going slow doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, we know from the Tic Tac incidents that the craft that Kevin Day observed on the radar screen were moving at only 100 knots at 28,000 feet. We hear similar cases where you know, we've got very slow-moving anomalous objects that, that other intelligence indicates that really is something extraordinary. So we don't have the full story. We don't have the radar data. We don't know the context of that clip. So I think it's premature to say that case solved. It's just not that simple. I see similar problems with the FLIR-1 video analysis. And, you know, where he's, he, he's talking about uh, it could be an aircraft. Yeah, we, but we got Ch- Chad Underwood, who actually was there and saw the thing. And he describes it as a white object. I mean, how did he even know the color was white if all he ever saw was through his uh, instrumentation system? It, it, we can see in the video that it was clearly jammed. It was clearly jamming his radar system uh, because he couldn't get a range on the thing. It's the range is stuck at 99.9. It was just buried. How does that happen? And how did the object escape from his target lock in the first place? What, what object can do that? Can any passenger plane or any military jet interceptor escape a target lock? Why was it having such a hard time locking in the first place? The thing keeps kind of struggling to keep a maintain a track on that thing. So there's a lot of unanswered questions here. But isn't not- that the way skeptics sometimes do it, Thomas? Yeah. They'll take one part of the story, yeah. subdivide it and say, OK, this could be that. And then they yeah. ignore everything else. What I find interesting is that the debunkers want to call themselves skeptics, but the skeptical method is the opposite of that. The skeptical method is to look at all of the pertinent data, call out the most interesting and credible parts of that data. And when you have multiple witnesses, like four different pilots observing the same object, then you can pretty much trust that the consistencies in their story will be pretty much accurate, at least in broad terms. And so they saw the Tic Tac object depart with such speed, with no sonic boom, and then appear at their cap point seconds later. Actually, I think that might have been the numbers that I used to calculate twice the speed of the space shuttle when you looked at the general speed that they were talking, because it was something like 60 miles and it was only a matter of seconds. So, you know, this is not an explained. I think that what happened, and this is, you know, people might want to eviscerate me for this, but... Uh, my understanding of what's going on is a little different than other people's. I think that what has happened is Luis Elizondo and Christopher Mellon and the ATIP team, they decided that they wanted to take this to the public. Like there was some discussion about that, and they, did, and they tried to find out how, what, what evidence could they get out to the public that would indicate the presence of these objects in our airspace. And among those cases where they had evidence – classified evidence, radar evidence, maybe satellite observations, uh, maybe additional ground-based radar systems, where they had additional classified evidence to support the extraordinary nature of those encounters. So the public only got a tiny, tiny whiff of what those cases actually involved. And I think that what they were doing is they released those clips to the public and started talking about them and got the New York Times article and everything in order to generate interest among Washington officials so that when the people who were on the Senate 
Select Committee of, on Intelligence uh, asked about these cases and were giving, given closed-door briefings, they got to see that classified evidence, and it made their hair stand on end because things have been happening fast in Washington. People have changed their tune in a heartbeat. They've seen something behind those closed-door briefings that we have not seen that is really compelling. So I think this is all part of their strategy in order to change policy in Washington and to start getting this, this subject out into the public mainstream. But of course, that raises the big question, and we're going to have to wrap this and continue on after the PowerCast. But the big question it raises here is, okay, what were they doing for the past 60 years? So we have all this stuff that's happening now, and what are they going to do? Are they going to now look back at the evidence that was gathered? Did they gather the evidence? Did they just stick it in the corner, say, well, this doesn't fit within our frame of reference? Well, we saw the Harry Reid applied for special access program classification for the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, um, and he was refused uh, that level because it's very costly. I think it costs 10 times more to have the security for a program like that than it does to actually run the program. So what's interesting, though, is I think that they were trying to do that so they would have access to other special access program level intelligence from programs that have been existing for decades studying this very subject. I think they wanted to trade data with those programs, and they couldn't if they couldn't get that classification. So I think that study has been ongoing, and I think that it would be a dereliction of duty for anybody in the military to put a halt to that kind of investigation because you're talking about performance characteristics and technological capabilities that would absolutely lead to U.S. dominance in the, in the military arena. Hey, Thomas, tell our listeners, do you have a website they can check you out at? I have a little website, MorrisonSculpture.com, where people can see my artwork. But I keep that very separate from um, my study of UFOs and the theoretical physics pertaining to it. They can hear some of the theoretical physics podcasts that we do on Physics Frontiers on iTunes. Um, we have a Podomatic webs- uh, website that has all of our episodes. All of them are free. All of them are commercial free. And I also engage, I'm a, a moderator at the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program discussion cell on Facebook. It's a mouthful. And it's all spelled out. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the PowerCast. Find us on Facebook, where they're now going to also list the free version of the PowerCast amongst their podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. Boy, we're everywhere. We also have the PowerCast shop at thepowercast.shop, where you can buy branded merchandise. Really, really, really great stuff. Thepowercast.shop. And then there's the Paracast Plus. Go to the Paracast Plus. We offer this show free of the network ads, higher quality audio, the After the Paracast podcast with more discussions like Thomas will continue on that one. And you could get a special discount if you subscribe for a lifetime. Use the coupon code UFO20. Okay? Check out the Paracast.plus, the Paracast.plus. Thomas Morrison, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you, Gene, and I'll see you on the forums. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.